Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Welcome along to episode 701 of the Milk Bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. And coming up on the show this week, we'll be hearing from Echo Gecko and sharing the first single, the first track from their first album. That's on the way. Uh, We'll be finding out about a prostate cancer awareness event taking place at Molyneux this week. We have a natter with George Clark. He has been designing a sofa for the team at Sophology and knows a thing or two about making sure your home looks right. You've seen what they tell you doing all of that. We'll be catching up with him. Plus, Zoe Burkett, a.k.a. the Spirit of the Ring, will be along. She is performing at Wolverhampton's Grand Theatre in the Panto Aladdin, which all gets going this week. On top of that, we'll also be hearing about a Christmas carol. Christopher Commander is up to something there. We'll be finding out about what he's doing too. That's all on the way on the show this week. With Aladdin on stage at the Grand Theatre from the 3rd of December through to the 7th of January, we're looking forward to an exciting time over the festive period and New Year, part of which is all going to be brought to life by the spirit of the ring. We have the one and only Zoe Burkett with me now. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. Not so bad. Well, I've got my coffee. We're in the middle of rehearsals here. So, it's, yeah, it's all go, go, go. Now, I tell you, rehearsals are on because we're not too far away from opening night. I'm very much looking forward to seeing the show myself. Uh, how is it going, rehearsals? Are you all enjoying yourself and gelling as a team? Absolutely. It's going really well. We've got such a, such a strong company here and, and pass as well. It's um, Everyone's super friendly. Everyone's getting on very, very well. Um, everyone's very professional and everyone's great. So it's going to be a really strong panto. Um, we're just starting to piece everything together now slowly. We're going to do our first run tomorrow um, in the studio before we head over to the theatre next week. So that's all looking good. And I mean, you, you say it's a strong company. Yeah, I mean, it, it is absolutely amazing. A brilliant cast, great personalities and one of the best blooming singers on the planet, I reckon, in the shape of you. I'll take that. Thank you very, very much. It's um. Listen, I've got some very meaty songs, to say the least. Um, when they sent me the songs through, I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> Obviously, don't want to give too much away, but they, I mean, one of them is definitely one of the hardest songs to sing in musical theatre history right. um, that I'm singing. So, there's, yeah, there's I've got three big old belters. <laughs> <laughs> but if anyone can be trusted with this, it is absolutely you. I mean, your time in the West End has proven that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you were you were on one of those TV talent shows, Pop Idol, when you had to be really absolutely amazing to get anywhere. You you you, you had to to really work at it. I mean, we're going back just over twenty years now, and it seems like five minutes since you've been doing all of this, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's crazy the the length of time. Um, how it's flown over, what has happened, the journey that I've been on. You know, it hasn't always been such a smooth ride. I've had to, you know, really earn my stripes and earn myself within the West End. So it's been, you know, fantastic. But like any job, you have to work at it. You have to, you know, earn your craft and earn your place. And I say, like, uh, amazing work being done on this panto. And it's the whole feel of the show, isn't it? You can tell how big this is going to be just from the outset. Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, we've got some, you know, some, some great names in it as well. And we all bring different things um and we're also suited to our characters as well you know I, i'm 
very cheeky northerner is spring is spirit of the ring so um I'm, i love how the script has been written it's been very much catered to my type of personality who i am where i'm from you know there's lots of northern references in there for me um so they haven't tried to change me at all so it's, it's great when i first opened the script i was like this is basically me just being me which is great <laughs> and i think that's the thing i mean being in the midlands as well it allows you we, we love northerners southerners we have to have it you know we'll sort of see how we get on there but i uh, know there's a great bunch of southerners in the show too but so with, with the great comedy you've got in the shape of Ian Billings, Ian Adams and uh, of course Tam Ryan as well uh, you've got a, just a, a fantastic fun experience with the whole family and some fantastic music too Absolutely, like like you mentioned you know, Ian and Tam are returning, I know they've done it before here at Wolves um, and they're so funny and you know, Tam's a great writer, I'm, I'm watching him you know, in rehearsals changing things, rewriting stuff as well so I, I, I enjoy that process, seeing how other people work as well and um, the comedy that, that they both have together is, is, is brilliant and Michael Greco, obviously, star from EastEnders days. That must be uh, quite good fun for everybody to, to to be meeting somebody who's been on the telly so much. Yeah, of course. I mean, he's he's a great Abenaza, um, and I used to watch EastEnders when I was when I was younger. And um, it's been over twenty years as well since he's been in the show. So we were talking about that last night. I said, you know, is it crazy that you know people still obviously remember you as Pepe DeMarco? Um, and he said, yeah, because it's been over twenty years now. Um, and it's that's I think as well because things are changing so, so madly. I mean, you know, some of the older audience will remember Michael in um, in EastEnders, and then you've got you know a lot of the younger members who obviously, of course, know Ben, who's from CBB. So I feel like it's a good mixture for all the family. Yeah, and Ben Kaji, another fantastic star. And so you've got some great mates to work with over Christmas. And I think you, you'll get to be a Panto family as well. And I think that's part of it, isn't it? Oh, that's one of the great things about Panto is that you're here working all day and all night. So you do actually form this great, you know, family and bond with people. Um, and that's one of the things about Panto because you, you kind of don't have that time with your family. So you kind of immediately do that with people who you're with the most, which is your work colleagues. Um, and it becomes great fun. And even the ensemble, we've got some great, great personalities in the ensemble. Um, and so I think it's just going to be a really good, fun, a fun festive season. It is Aladdin. It is Wolverhampton's Grand Theatre. 01902 429212 is the box office number. Grandtheatre.co.uk to get your tickets online. And it runs from the 3rd of December through to the 7th of January. It will be awesome. I'm looking forward to being down there. Press nice. Have a fantastic time. Break a leg. And we look forward to the wonderful sound of your voice as it emanates around the theatre over the whole of the festive period. Have a great Christmas and we'll see you soon. You too. Thank you very much. And we'll see you soon. Enjoy. When it comes to our sofas, they hide some secrets. We spend an awful lot of time on them, and we tend to keep them around for eight years. As somebody who knows a thing or two about uh, houses, interiors, and everything around that is uh, the inimitable George Clark, who joins me now. Hello, sir. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm all right, thank you, and I hope we're finding you well and uh, uh, in, in enjoying the, that sort of period before Christmas where we do start to see furniture but making its way into people's homes so they've got somewhere to sit once all the relatives turn up. Well, we do. I mean, come on, you want a decent sofa at Christmas, don't you? If you once you've finished your Christmas lunch and you just crash out on the sofa, watch a bit of telly, um, yeah, you need something very comfortable, very cosy, where all the family can get together. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm slightly obsessed by sofas, as you can probably tell. Well, yeah, I mean, when it comes down to designing a home, it's actually, this is at the heart of it, isn't it? And, and any room that you're putting together as an architect, you've got to make it usable by the people who are in that house. So when it comes yeah. down to the, the soft furnishing, that's where we tend to rest ourselves. 
Yeah, I mean, when I'm redesigning houses, it's all about space planning and making sure that everything's in the right place to suit the way that people live and performs a function and looks beautiful and kind of juggles everything, really. So, you know, obviously I design kitchens and dining rooms and everything else. But when it comes to the sofa position and what the sofa looks like, it's, it is really the centre of the home. I mean, absolutely the centre of the home. So its position how it's designed, what you can see from it, what the lighting's like, what the fabric's like, what the colour's like, what the size is like. <laughs> All that stuff's got to be juggled as a designer, really. But, um, you know, that's what keeps design interesting and home design a big challenge for me. I mean, mm. we've actually done a bit of um, research. I hope you don't mind me plugging this straight away. The Secret Life of a Sofa. It was a bit of fun. We did a survey about the kind of the, the lifespan of a sofa and what it goes. Because if you think about it, your sofa sees a lot of stuff, doesn't it? When you're at home, it sees everything. If, if it was like, I don't know if we could tell stories, we could tell some pretty fascinating stories about your family. <laughs> so they reckon that over the lifespan of a sofa, as you mentioned, about around eight years, it experiences 311 arguments, <laughs> over, over 8,000 hours of TV time. I think it might be more than that in my house. 401 naps, definitely more than that in my house. Yeah, There's definitely. More time 316 drink spillages, 488 times your pet's claws will dig into it, and 65 times it's scribbled on by the kids. So, you know, the, the sofa's got to put up with a lot when you think about it. It has, and this is why people end up down sofology, trying to pick up a new one in time for Christmas, because they do suffer. And it, it, it is one of those things where you, the scribbling one, I mean, you, you can't help it. You do not have a white sofa if you have pets or kids. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I've designed a new sofa for sophology. It's called the Gaia sofa. Um, thankfully, it looks good. I hope people like it. Um, it's mega comfortable, which was super important for me. But actually, one of the big things about it is that it's it's massively sustainable. It's one of the most kind of green, sustainable, eco-friendly sofas that's ever been designed, which is quite a big statement to make. But that's that was something that I kind of pushed the sophology team really, really hard on. Um it's one of the first sofas that can be very easily dismantled. It's staple free, which might not sound that fascinating, but from a design perspective, that was one of the biggest challenges ever. You know, the upholstery industry and the sofa industry use millions and millions of staples that can cause kind of damage to the fabric and damage to timbers when it's being dismantled. And that makes a lot of those components quite hard to recycle. So this is kind of the most recyclable eco-friendly sofa that's ever been done, which I'm, I have to say, I'm mega proud of, you know, it's, it's as a designer, you want to do something that's beautiful and comfortable and, and people love to sit on, but for it to be so highly sustainable as well as is a big game changer. So I'm, I'm chuffed to bits with it. It's just been launched. Yeah, and that means it's going to be hopefully more than the eight years before it is then disassembled on the grounds that if you're pulling that sort of quality mm. into it, and as I say, it, it is those things that go, isn't it? It's around the staples, as you mentioned, that fabric tears, it starts to become old with age. And uh, obviously sitting down on things, not necessarily always that lightly, uh, can uh, can cause even more wear and damage, particularly yeah. around those sort of stress points. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and you know, the... The survey that we've just done look, looks at the average age of a sofa being around eight years. I'm hoping this one lasts a lot, lot more than that. You know, to be ecological and sustainable and give people the best value product, you want it to last a long time. You need it to be designed and built to last many more years than that. And, and, and this one certainly will, no doubt about that. And you know, we see sofas going back over the year with almost yeah, classic designs sometimes. And, and it is, the sofa is, is one of those recognisable things. You take a sofa out the home and it, it looks out of place. Yeah, in the home, it's just heaven. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, when I think about when I was a kid, we had some fantastic sofa. I remember my nan's sofa being mega, mega cosy and comfortable. I can remember some shockers as well, to be honest. I look back at some photographs of when I was a kid and I think, why on earth did we pick a sofa that looked like that? You know what I mean? <laughs> but in, in fairness, I think a lot of them are hand-me-downs, you know, and, mm-hmm. and in some ways that's that's very green and sustainable. There's nothing better than have a sofa that lasts many years and you know it's passed down through the family and you know your nances to to my mum do you want the sofa we're going to get rid of it we're going to get a new one um from that point of view it's brilliant you know i don't have any problem with with sofas being passed down through the family it's fantastic that um but sometimes you might have taken possession of a sofa that might not necessarily work with the design of the rest of your house but saying that in the 70s and early 80s i think we made some bizarre choices anyway you know the fabric choices between carpet sofa and wallpaper was um let's say they didn't always really work together yeah our orange vinyl should be reserved for your madonna greatest hits collection and not something you sit on when you're watching terror (laughs) exactly exactly so explain a little bit more about, uh, about your sofa and what the design looks like. Because, I mean, often these days, uh, sofas become a bit too technical with crazy USB ports and things everywhere. Is that the, is that the route you've gone? Or are you, are no, you... no, there's, there's, no, there's no real tech in there, to be honest. I mean, you could even say from, uh, from a look point of view, it's quite understated. It's not a, a sofa that kind of screams and shouts out. It's not, it's not overly designed. There's no funky shapes to it. It's, it's quite classic. It's quite timeless. I think it's something that's not going to go out of fashion because it, it hasn't been over stylized. Um, as I said before, mega comfortable, crikey. I mean, when I sit on it, I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. You know, it really is. It's, it's quite deep. You can kind of fall into it. Um, you can get lots of the family on there. There's lots of configurations for it as well. We've got lots of different fabric types. Um, but it is, as I said before, mega sustainable, staple free, really durable even the fabrics are all kind of spill resistant and stain resistant so it's a highly durable built to last sofa um some quite subtle colors as well i mean that we've got a kind of a slightly greenish color which is the one that i've picked for my house it's um it's a kind of lightish green it looks very beautiful and very natural so yeah i'm hoping people really really love it as i say understated but beautifully done and the most important thing is just to fall into it you know literally fall into it and just I'd be amazed if people don't fall in love with it because it's that comfortable. And now there's a number of names that stand out when it comes to historic sofas. Does this mean in years to come on the uh, these antique shows on telly, people will be sitting down on a George Clark? <laughs> I'd love that. That'd be fantastic. An antique George Clark sofa. Well, if that's the case, that means it's stood the test of time and it's definitely been built to last, which is what it should be. That's the plan anyway. Uh, what else have you got going on at the minute? Are we seeing you in any interesting spaces in the near future? Lots. Uh, Craig, it's, I mean, it's mega, mega busy. It always seems to be. I've just come back from Alaska. I've just filmed the um, the snow special, you know, the winter special for, for Channel 4, which will be out just before Christmas, obviously. Um, I'm just finishing off a brand new series of amazing spaces. It's our 10th anniversary 10th anniversary series. You yeah, know, it's mad, isn't it? It seems to have flown by. So I think it's January the 9th. The 10th anniversary series of, uh, of Amazing Spaces goes out. I'm but the crazy bit there. is you don't get any older. So when they show highlights of the first one, you're still going to look the same. Well, what's slightly... So I'm actually filming the big build reveal. I always do a big build um, that that's strung over the entire series. I'm doing mm-hmm. the reveal this weekend. Um, my kids are going to be there. And the reason why they're going to be there is that I have 
redesigned the caravan that I built for myself on the first series of Amazing Spaces in 2012. Uh -huh. Now, what's quite scary about that is that when my kids were at the reveal for the first one, they were five, seven, and nine. <laughs> They're now 15, 17, and 19. I'm obviously 10 years older as well. And I know full well that Channel 4 are going to cut the program with all the stuff from 10 years ago and the stuff that we're going to do this weekend. And, um, well, my kids will look amazing because they look fantastic anyway. I'm just going to look knackered and 10 years older. <laughs> well, at least the hairline's still there, which is the thing that counts. <laughs> Thanks very much, mate. <laughs> you don't have to have that reupholstered, so that will do the job. Right, where do we go to find out more about your amazing design work when it comes to the works you've been doing with Sophology? Well, I mean, you'll find out lots about the sofa and how ecological it is. If you go to their website, sophology.co.uk. Oh, George Clark, architect, designer and TV host, thank you for joining us. Thanks very much, mate. Echo Gecko have an album which is going to be wowing audiences. I think it's going to be a mainstay of Christmas stockings across the nation. I'm joined now by John and Josh from the band to tell me more. Hello, lads. Good Hi, Jason. Hello. Hello. So, uh, first of all, tell me a bit about the album. Its name is Self-Titled, which uh, is kind of a play on uh, bands that use their own names for the albums of their first release of their own names. So they call it Self-Titled when you listen to a chart. So we decided to just call it self-titled and it's a humdrum of activity. Uh, it kind of showcases everything that we're capable of, every genre we like, everything we embrace and put forward into one spellbinding nine track record. Well, there we go. I like that nine tracks. It's four and a half per side. So that's good. <laughs> four and a half per side. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, give, give us the band history then for those who aren't fully echo geckoed up as yet. Well, this um, the album is a bit of an introduction for us, really. Um, so it's got some, it's got a mix of some older tracks that we have previously recorded, but are now been recorded in a much better quality um, from like our earlier gig days. Um, so yeah, I mean that goes back. We've been going about four years now, I think, and we've been sort of working our way around the Birmingham, the Worcester scene. Uh, it's been our main sort of live acts really that we've been doing sort of going over to Bristol a little bit and just trying to get elsewhere but um yeah we um me and Josh have known each other since college uh, college yep and then Kiga met you in university yeah and then um, I realized that you two were good players and I needed you <laughs> yeah. well with me yeah Josh and I we, well you, you two were in a band at uni weren't you and then we were in a band back then as well I mean they go back about 10 years now yeah but, yeah um, we sort of uh, played around with a few ideas and stuff, but then we, me and you just kept jamming, didn't we? Even though those that, that yeah, that, didn't work, that out never and didn't work out with Kiga, but mm -hmm. me and you just carried on jamming. We used to go to this place called Temple of Boom in Starbridge, um, mm -hmm. where you used to be able to. It was like there was only a couple of rooms, a little place, but it was great because you could go there twenty four hours. So if you wanted to rock up at midnight and have a midnight jam, <laughs> you just text him. He gives you the code to get in, and it was like on a on a trust system. It was really nice, nice sort of community thing. So that's where a lot of I think that's where the the idea of Echo Gecko sort of originated was there, because um, we just kept these jams going, sort of pulled some song ideas from then. Needed a bassist, got Kiga involved, had a good jam with him, and we we gelled together really well, and uh, we just went from there really. And and the beanie hats is this part of the band uniform? Yeah, did you not get the memo? I don't, I don't, that, it, it's, uh, it's not something that suits me, I'm afraid. Uh, they, 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 the lack of hair means they just slide off in a really embarrassing way. Uh, so I, I couldn't join, which is probably a good job because I have no musical talent either. Uh, you don't need a violinist grade two, do you? 
Um, yeah, you never know. Absolutely. You never know. Of course we do. Yes, but it's been a while. So uh, you've, you've obviously got a, a sound which is very much your own, but how would you describe it other than being your own? Um, well, oddly, we had a, a review a long time ago that said it was genre-defined, and we ran with that for <laughs> quite a while, saying it was genre-defined. And then we've kind of realised that we're actually the, the complete polar opposite. It's genre-inclusive. <laughs> So yeah. it's, we just take essentially when we when we're in our uh, studio where we practice, if it catches our ear and we like it, we write it. That's essentially it. But you look like the relaxed end of indie rock from nineteen ninety six. So there's a bit of that. There's a bit of that influence there, probably. Um, I mean, but we're big fans of Britpop and that sort of you know that sort of like uh, Blur is one of my favourite bands, for example. Yeah. Um, so for that side of it, and there's there's definitely that side of influence i think it's just that we just we, well the other thing we always used to say is we're under the wide umbrella of alternative rock but i think when you hear when you imagine alternative rock in your head it's not what we sound like even though that's alternative rock is a bit of a vague title anyway mm. um yeah marketing ourselves on our own has not been a uh an easy thing to face for that reason but yeah i would describe ourselves as generally rock with jazz influence prog influence um, influence, yeah, Brit rock influence, metal influence, genre maybe even like reggae, <laughs> bit of reggae and ska sort of influence as well. It's with hats, yeah. We just we just like to, yeah. I, I don't know. It's kind of where other bands might, or other people, or even ourselves in previous bands and things like that. We might have been a bit, oh, well, let's not do that. That sounds a bit too much like this, or let's not let's do this because it sounds like this. It's this band isn't about that at all. This is just about drawing as much in as we can and just seeing what sort of ends up on the canvas if you will you know with sort of we started with some acrylics but now we're chucking watercolors on we just bit I'd have gone watercolors first to be honest but if they whatever type well, you know, takes your fancy this you is never the know thing what works. we're thinking outside the box Jace. you know you'll, you'll be on gouache next or whatever you, you pronounce that one yeah they'll do that's the, that's that sounds good yeah okay <laughs> so it's uh going to be uh an exciting time for anybody who picks up the uh the album uh, now we're going to uh, to share a track. Have you done videos for any of these yet? Not yet. Not for the current recorded versions of them. No. So that's next on our list. And and how do you sort of envisage them coming to the small phone screen that is going to be their mainstay? Wouldn't you do that? Um, yeah. I mean, to be fair, videos haven't really been our strong suit so far. We've um, done a couple, uh, which were very DIY. Uh, before we had management and the label and things so mm -hmm. we yeah we did one before which was as we went into lockdown where we just compiled a lot of footage like i i, I like taking time lapses of you know clouds moving and that sort of thing we sort of overlaid that with some performances of ourselves playing the song and singing along to it and things it'll be interesting to see what you actually do when you come up with it this time around and how uh, uh, all this kind of works out so uh, if we were going to choose a track from the album to listen to now because obviously we're about to do that what would it be? Josh? Good question. I, I, do we have the walk? I think yeah, I like the walk. I think it come, uh, it, it just brings everything together for what we're trying to do. It's supposed to be, it's kind of a rock and roll track, but at the same time, it's everything else that we do. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it goes um, it's the first track on the album as well, so that'll sort of serve as a bit of an introduction, hopefully. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's basically it's a nice simple sort of jaunty song. 
about getting out and having a good walk and enjoying nature, things like that. Fairly relatively simple concept. It sounds like a perfectly uh, healthy thing to be going out there and doing, particularly when you've got pets. So you probably enjoy doing that too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as you said, then my dog just licks my hand. <laughs> <laughs> you, you use the W word, so before you know it, he'll be expecting to go for a little uh, wander around the oh, estate. No, I think that's that. exactly why she's sniffing around me now. She's suddenly got interested, and I think that's why, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but where do we find you on all the socials? How do we pick up the album? And uh, uh, where do you send answers on a postcard for what people think the genre might or might not be? Well, we've got Facebook, which is Echo Gecko. We've got Instagram, which is Echo Gecko Band. We've got Twitter, which I think is also Echo Gecko Band. It's one of the two. And you've got to spell um, all your echoes and your geckos for us. Yes, so the echoes e are classic. H-O-G-E-C-C-O. -C -C there you go. <laughs> that's a catchy way of doing it. It's yeah, normal spelling except for two Cs on the gecko. Yeah, that's a hidden track on the album, isn't it, that one? Yes. But yeah, you unlock it. for you, mate. That's just for you. It's going to be amazing. Uh, enjoy what you're doing as we will continue to enjoy whatever it is you're doing as well. Uh, we look forward to album number two and however long that will take. But uh, any gigs on the way? Yeah, we've got a we're doing a record store appearance at Record Culture in Stourbridge uh, on the 10th of December in the afternoon. And on the same day, we're playing at Paradiddles in Worcester on the night. That's all a thing. Well, John, yeah. Josh, thank you both for joining us. Thank you very no much. Problem at all. Thanks for having us. Mention that is too far out of comprehension. 
this Wednesday, the 30th of November at Molyneux. There's going to be a talk on prostate cancer. Nicola and Jenny are here to tell me more. Hello to you both. Hiya. So first of all, give us a a background to the programme that you're working on. Yeah, so uh, on Wednesday, we're going to be discussing um, really prostate issues, whether it be urinary symptoms um, and uh, a concern about a prostate cancer diagnosis. So really giving some background information about conditions regarding the prostate and just really educating patients, families, friends, carers about the condition, just to make them more aware about testing investigations for prostate cancer. Yeah, because prostate cancer itself is one of the most treatable of cancers, particularly if you discover its presence early. And this can be done through a simple blood test, and which is often taken from around the age of 40. And men who do show high on some indicators can, number one, not panic. That's the important thing to start off with. And then go on yeah. to get testing done to see whether there is a concern or whether these elevated uh, is it PSA levels are, are, are normal for them. That's exactly right. That's it, the PSA test. So go to the GP with a PSA, and if it does come back high again, like you said, it's nothing to be too concerned about in the first instance, and we can investigate from that point further if we need to with various tests such as MRI scans um, and then go forward to biopsies if they're needed. But as much as it sounds horrible, it is worth getting checked and getting treated. Absolutely, and it's just making uh, you know like say patients and men out there really um take ownership of their own health which they're much better at for these days and uh, you know taking that step forward when they've got some sort of concerns at the back of their mind and saying yeah i'm going to take that step further now i'm going to go and see my gp i'm going to go and have a test for it um and and then we we're going to you know, give some reassurance about what that toast tests involve and i say you know some men are thinking you know it's going to be embarrassing but We'll give that reassurance those tests and investigations are done in a, in a way that we try and keep the patient calm and comfortable. And like you say, the most important thing is they get investigated and tested. And, and you know, if you catch these the prostate cancer early, it can be treatable. Yeah, and uh, it can be treatable in a, in a very low invasive way as well. That's the other good thing too. Uh, so it, this event itself, a chance to come along and find out or is it maybe the starting point to a journey for somebody who has concerns? Both really. So if anyone does, any men, I mean, wives are more than welcome to come along too. Um, and it's basically if they've got any worries or it can be just a general chat we said we're more than happy to speak to gentlemen afterwards, answer questions, and we're more than happy to see men and women, you know, afterwards privately too and have a one-to-one conversation if they don't feel like putting it out there in front of people. But it is the start of a journey that they might not realise, you know, that they've got these problems until it's spoke about. Yeah, because I mean, the importance is getting the blood test. That's that's a big one. And that, that is something which which can be done uh, without cost on the NHS for those who are, is it over 40? Yeah, so um, men over 40 and, and higher risk gentlemen with a family history or a black heritage, then we would recommend their P- PSAs taken. And really it's pushing that forward with the GP. Uh, ideally, you know, we like to see men be tested every year with a PSA. And then if that uh, is raised above their normal range, then that triggers a referral to us via the GP. Um, And then we'll do the ongoing investigations from there on if if it's required. Mm -hmm. So um, 
but yeah it's that first trigger and it's just being like say aware and sometimes that patient taking the initiative to have that conversation with the gp and so asking for the psa test or discussing any symptoms that they may be concerned about yeah so any any change in particularly your nighttime urine habits can be uh, a, an obvious uh, one here uh, and uh, so i suppose uh, the restriction of flow uh, when you're you're urinating those are the sort of initial flags when something is going wrong yeah those are the main initial ones like you said you know the flow stop start stream struggling to pass urine going a bit more frequently especially of a night time also you know if you see blood in the urine which is always you know concerning um so that always needs to be followed up by the gp but also we need to make sure patients are fully aware that it can be a silent cancer as well so you don't necessarily have to have any symptoms for this to be picked up so you know, you can have a, a patient that's per perfectly healthy, no problems with urination at all, um, and they just have a PSA, and it can be taken incidentally, and this can flag an abnormality with a PSA, and then they can be referred on to us. So again, you don't always necessarily have to have symptoms to have a prostate cancer diagnosis. And again, this is something that we really want to emphasise out there as well. And that's the importance of screening because, I mean, as he goes, the restriction in flow is because with the urinary tract heading through pretty much the centre of this, I take it, uh, it, yeah. uh, it then you know, it could be that the cancer or any other type of tumour, because it doesn't always have to be cancerous, could be on the other side of the uh, of the prostate itself and not restrict flow. Yeah, so like say prostate cancer, if it's so small, it, you know, it, it doesn't have to give any symptoms. And, you know, we often see men that present and they're completely unaware of why they've been referred and it's just like say an incidental finding unless they've asked for that PSA blood test themselves so um, it's just making sure that the patient he knows when to be referred on to us and you know taking that health ownership really of mm -hmm. the you know uh, but you you are right as well you know any changes in urinary symptoms they should have a discussion with their GP about that as well because that can sometimes be a flag. This is just a, a walk-in centre or do people need to book to come along and see you? So there is a there is a booking reference at the bottom. Um, so we can give you the details of how to book on. So there's a telephone number and there's an email as well. So right. book on to the um, the session. And like I say, it's a very informative session. And myself and Nicola will be able to discuss, um, you know, one to one, you know, conversations afterwards regarding individual concerns. But we will be doing a, like a really good educational session. And also we've got um, Steve Daly who will be in attendance with us too. Mm -hmm. um, he's recently gone through a prostate cancer diagnosis and had it treated um, with us here at New Cross. Uh, so he'll be there talking about his journey too. And, and, and once you start, Steve, talking, you can't stop. So uh, no. <laughs> make sure you uh, you, you get in uh, nice and early and book, for, book the babysitter for late. So uh, <laughs> how do we book ourselves onto uh, the event? The telephone number is 07971. 900 257 and then the email address is it's healthadmin at wolves.co.uk so either way of those you can book on and come to the event there's refreshments i believe as well so you can have a cup of tea while you're there it's the it's got it's all you can sort your health out you can meet steve daily and you can have something to drink too you exactly. can't go wrong you with that can you as well well absolutely yeah. <laughs> 
that 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 works every time. Yeah, and, meet our award-winning team. And exactly. you, you you promise not to bring the rubber gloves and the KY jelly at this particular we meeting. We promise we will not be bringing the KY jelly. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> well, That's the day today. <laughs> only if required. So, yeah. uh, but do get yourself along if you have any concerns, or it's just something which you know is something you need to think about at some point in the near future. Make it now, so at least you know what you're looking out for. Uh, Jenny and Nicola, thank you for joining us. Oh, no, thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. St Mary's Guild Hall in Coventry is playing host to a Christmas carol. Christopher Commander is going to be in the guise of somebody with the top hat who knows the tale, and he's here to tell me more. Hello, sir. Nice. That was a good, good, good intro. Um, hello. How are you? I'm all right. Long time no speak. Long time. <laughs> too long. It's always too long. You, you were doing something bard-based last time we spoke, and uh, this wow. time you're here with something festive once more. Yes, this time we've we've shuffled out the Shakespeare and shuffled in the Dickens. So that wasn't meant to be a euphemism, but it sounded like one. It worked, uh, whatever it was. Thank you. Uh, however, uh, this is all going to be a, a glorious evening uh, for groups of people who come along to an event taking place, as we say, over in Coventry, uh, which is a little bit of a drive for both of us. But it, it sounds like it's well worth getting along to. It's going to be a lot of fun. So I'll, I'll take you through, um, if you're a patron coming to see our Victorian Christmas. So it's at the Guildhall, as you said, and uh, it's separate shows throughout the day. So um, I'm there from about 10 o'clock in the morning till mid afternoon. And every hour on the hour, I take a new group of people through. Uh, I take them through in a bit of a tour. They get to see some of the Guildhall first with me, and then uh, they get some mulled wine and some mince pies and they gather around and they hear me perform um, my adaptation of Christmas Carol for uh, about 35, 40 minutes or so. And then after the redemption of Scrooge, no spoilers there, um, <laughs> I take them upstairs and they go to the absolutely beautiful Great Hall and they, they, they get to be serenaded with some carols for the, for the remainder of their hour and then rinse and repeat for the whole day. It sounds like a fantastic way to spend an hour for that, though. It's it's it's, it's yeah. jolly good fun and, and puts everybody in the mood for Christmas. And okay. you've got, uh, I think, four dates in all. However, one's already sold out and there are other times selling out quickly. Yes. So I, I had a bit of a check. Uh, so the dates for you, lovely watchers and listeners at home, um, the 26th of November, the 3rd of December and the 10th of December, there are still shows throughout the day that haven't been booked um but double check the website just to be on the safe side and and give us that website uh so you can go straight to stmarysguildhall.co.uk and if you follow the tickets if you scroll down a bit as well you can see you'll see my lovely face with a hat um, on again with a hat on in fact this hat because i'm yeah. doing yeah mm, um that's a hat. and uh and and then and then and then you'll see my face. You can click on the link and and go to the go to the tickets. Click that face, and you will get what you're looking for. You click this face, and you'll get this face on the day. Yeah, it's that it's, it sounds like exactly what you'd expect. Trading standards have no argument there. I, <laughs> I hope so. 
I mean, you do love a bit of Christmas Carol. I mean, uh, oh. I mean, you're a, you're a wide ranging, versatile actor. However, uh, you very often enjoy a bit of Shakespeare and a bit of Charles Dickens. It is something that uh, you seem quite at home with. It is a bit in my veins. I've been I've been in a production or connected to a production of Christmas Carol since two thousand and nine. Every year, you were but a boy. I know, but uh, yes. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> you were uh, Tiny Tim the first time around, exactly. Tiny that works. Tim. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, so I've been very fortunate to be able to to have those opportunities. But my Christmas doesn't feel complete without without the story, the the ghost story of Christmas. See, in my head, you're playing Gonzo, but that isn't, isn't, isn't <laughs> that isn't it, is it? This one you're doing this one as Charles Dickens. This one is as Charles Dickens. So yeah. So when I when I greet you, I will be Charles Dickens, and uh, I will tell you the story as Charles Dickens used to do. So um, about 10 years after he wrote um, A Christmas Carol. And it was, uh, it was one of those serialized ones, wasn't it? It was in the papers. So no, uh, so Christmas Carol was written as a book. Oh, is it in, as a book? Yeah. In response to, um, to, to what he saw in the workhouse. Mm -hmm. um, and then about 10 years after it was published as immediate success, uh, he wrote it in about six weeks in a fever of, of, of slight rage and excitement and, and, and a new definition for Christmas. Um, about 10 years after that, he took it on the road. He, he, he started to, he did an adaptation himself, uh, which I have taken um, some inspiration from, and he went and performed it. Up I, and I think it, it's had a copyright. You can say you nicked it now. <laughs> Apologies, Dickens. Um, <laughs> I've nicked your one of your greatest <laughs> works, uh, and he, uh, yeah, he went on the he went on the road. He took it, um, and his publishers and some of the other fine gentlemen who were his um, contemporaries said, "Oh no, that's uh, that's that's not what a gentleman should do. You shouldn't go and read your own work. Absolutely ridiculous." But in in spite of them, he did it, and it was a great success. But imagine, even at the time, you, you've been to see Charles Dickens tell the tale of A Christmas Carol, and this is basically the closest you're going to get in this day and age, isn't it? Oh, wow. I, I'm very honoured. Um, <laughs> but hopefully, I mean, it's... Um, you'll be telling adapt... him. <laughs> I hope so. I hope yeah. so. I, I'm try I, I, my adaptation is, um, is about 35, 40 minutes um, for this one man. And this is sort of a trial run. The idea is that this will give the Guildhall and Coventry an idea of, of what a full scale production, one one man production could could be like. And that might be able something I might be able to do in the future, which I'd be very excited about. See, because they've got a carol already, haven't they? There is the Coventry carol. Now they want basically you as Charles Dickens reincarnate. Of course, of course. Um, and hopefully uh, I have. It's very tough to cut. It's very tough to cut. Same with Shakespeare. Because you can I'm... do it. We know you can do it. You're just being modest now. Stop well, it. it's one of those things that I'm so... Um, the, the text is so sacred to me. It's so hard to cut things that... I don't want to lose the heart of the story. So I hope people will come and see me and get to enjoy the story and, 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 and follow the whole arc uh, without, without losing um, some of Dickens's... Uh... Dickensian bits. The, the Dickensian bits, yes, one yeah. might say. But, um, you know, without, hopefully my version will still touch people in the same way uh, Dickens did as well. So. well. Remind us where we can click on your face. So you can click on my face if you go to stmarysguildhall.co.uk. Scroll down a bit, you'll see all there. They're doing a huge Victorian Christmas. 
Christmas thing throughout Christmas. And uh, those special dates again are November the 26th, December the 3rd, and December the 10th. Find my face and I will see you on the day as Dickens. And do you know how pricing works or does it vary depending when you've got a CV or CV plus card? Uh, I don't know, actually. Um, it's all on the website, isn't it? It is on the website. I know they are. Um, I know they're cheaper than standard uh, normal rate tickets, but also you get your uh, mulled wine and and your mince pies and you can relax and listen to uh, me do a whole bunch of different voices and tell you the, the story of Christmas Carol. That, that works. I, I'm already sold. Uh, Christopher <laughs> Commander, as ever, thank you for joining us. Have a brilliant Christmas if we don't speak before. And we look forward to making sure as many people as possible get along to the Guild in, uh, in Coventry and do their bit. Take care. That's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining me back with episode 702 next week. I'll see you then. For half an hour. Goodbye from the mill bar. Goodbye from the milk bar. Goodbye from the milk bar. Goodbye from the milk bar. Yeah. Goodbye from the milk bar. Yeah.